kids are going to kids worship in the Family Life Center. The rest of us, I want to begin by inviting you to participate in a discipleship question. Each week, I prepare a sermon, we look at the same text together, but then we publish these discipleship questions in our newsletter and on our website each week. And the, the idea is we talk about them here on Sundays, we share in these ideas together, and then we interact with them in your homes or with the people that you know around your dinner table, on your own, you can reflect on these questions. This happens every week, and I want to draw more attention to them. And one way I want to do that this morning is by inviting us just for four or five minutes right at the start of this message here is to answer this question, to think about it, and then to literally open your mouth and share your response to this with somebody who is sitting near you. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do now. First Peter 4.10 says that this is the, the passage that we're going to hear as part of our sermon text this morning. Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And the question I want you to think about is, what gifts have you received? And then the second part of this question is, how will you use these gifts to serve others this week? And you might go, I don't know what's going to happen this week. How can I possibly answer that? It requires a little bit of thought, a little bit of imagination. And so I want you to it, turn to somebody near you and ask them this question and have them respond. If you're having trouble responding to this question, or if you're not like, I don't want to toot my own horn, I don't like talking about my own gifts, then have them respond for you. Say, what, you know, what, what gifts do you see in me? And how can we use these gifts to serve others? Okay? So, four or five minutes, I'm going to sit down, we're going to talk amongst each other, and then I'll be back. So ready, set, go. Okay. Thank you guys for participating in that. Take about... 10 seconds to wrap up your conversations. I, I, I like, it's neat sometimes when I get back up to talk again and people are still discussing, that's a good thing because that's, that means that these conversations are valuable and the, the things that we're talking about in the message this morning are things that you guys can relate to. That's sort of the purpose of the discipleship questions is to take this or this worship in general from being just an exercise or a ritual that we do but something that prepares us for what God is going to do through us in the coming week. So I appreciate you guys taking time to reflect on and even share your answers to these discipleship questions. And keep in mind, this is an every week thing, whether we do this in this room, uh, to make time to do that, or whether you're just doing it on your own or taking your, your newsletter, holding it up and taking a look at it later this week. This is a way to interact with what Peter is telling the church and what, how God is speaking through these scriptures. I don't know how often I, I say this. I feel like there's a lot more clarification that needs to happen than I make time to do on Sundays. But this morning, I wanted to just take a minute to say, here's what my understanding of my role as a preacher is. You may have not thought about it. You're like, well, we all know what you do. You get up and you do it every week. But my understanding of it and my, my responsibility in preaching is kind of like we take the Bible, and I think of it sort of as like a, a treasure chest. Go with me on this. It's a little bit... It takes a little bit of imagination. Think of a chest that has all of these valuable jewels in it from different periods in time, from different ways that God's people have encountered God throughout the history uh, of God's interaction with people. And what I do each week is I reach into that chest, and not blindly a lot of the time. Usually I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something or, you know, we haven't looked at this one in a while, and I hold it up. And it, you realize you can do this on your own. You can go to this treasure chest, and you can say, oh, I want to learn some, some wisdom from the Psalms, or I want to hear the histories of, of 
of God's faithfulness to his people. I want to hear the words of Jesus. You probably already do this. When you go to scripture, you, you hold up one of these gems and you look at it from different angles. That's kind of what I do, is I go and I say, you know what, I'm going to choose one for all of us, at least just for this time that we're together. And I'm going to hold it up. And we're all going to look at the same one. And what I do most weeks is I, I spend time in this text and I reflect on it. So I'm looking at it from Jacob's angle. That's why you get a lot of stories about, you know, Jacob growing up or Jacob traveling with a lot of kids on an airplane. or like Those are illustrations to kind of relate some of the things in the scriptures that we, uh, to help us understand them a little bit better. But what discipleship questions do is it gives you the opportunity to look at this same text from your perspective. You're seeing it from a different angle. I hold it up and I say, man, this is beautiful. We say, man, yes it is. But then we turn it and somebody else says, oh, this is, this is my perspective. These are my thoughts on what's happening here. So I encourage you to do that. It's, it's a richer experience when we can interact with them together. And you guys have been very patient for as long as I've been preaching here. You've allowed me to be the one who gets to choose, reach into the treasure chest and say, we're going to look at this one for now. And I'm looking at it from my perspective. That's sort of how I approach it. That's how I think. Uh, you can look back at all of my sermons. If you can find one where there's no text at all, where I'm just like sharing my opinions and thoughts, you know, I'll, I'll give you 10 bucks because I, I don't do that. Every sermon, every message that I preach is done with prayer. It's done through a process, and it's, it's based in Scripture. I'll get off this in a second, but while I'm here, there's kind of two ways that I approach how to use the text in preaching. One is what we're doing right now in First Peter, where we'll take a book of the Bible or a section of Scripture, and we'll just go straight through. And we'll say, whatever God has to say to us, that's going to hit us at whatever time we've scheduled that to happen. Like on the 4th of July, we happen to be talking about using uh, your freedoms, not hoarding your freedoms, but being willing to submit those freedoms for the sake of God's kingdom. Wow, that was amazing how that lined up. When we were studying through the Gospel of Mark, we got to a passage on divorce. I was like, man, I don't want to get up and talk about divorce. That's a sensitive subject. This is going to be tricky. I've never been divorced. I don't know what that's like. But there it was in the text. And so I said, okay, we've made this decision. We're going to go through it. We're going to hear all the words, and we're going to wrestle with them. We're going to examine that treasure together. And then the other way to do it is more of a topical. I don't do this as often, but every once in a while, if we want to take the topic of generosity or uh, church practices, you know, uh, elders' responsibilities or something like that, we'll take that topic, and then still we go to scriptures, but it's a little bit more of kind of like we'll be in Acts one week, and then oh, we'll be over here in Romans another week. Anyway, that's just a little bit of behind-the-scenes look. And I, I don't explain these things very often, but I feel like I want you to know where I'm coming from and what that process is like. So that if you have any questions about, why are we talking about this now? Or what does this have to do? Or sometimes get, people will say things like, I feel like you were preaching at me. Like you took something that you knew about my life and you were using the Bible to aim that at me. And I felt either, I don't know, convicted by it or I felt hurt by it. So I kind of feel the need to just say, if we're studying Scripture together and something hits you in a way that makes you uncomfortable, I hope that you don't blame me. If you need someone to blame, you can blame me. But I hope you take that as an opportunity to realize maybe God is speaking through this text and has something that you need to hear in your life. So with that in mind, we're going to go to the next passage in 1 Peter. We've been studying through this this summer. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. But before we go there, let me, let, let me lead us in a prayer uh, as we ask God for his guidance and for his wisdom. Our Father in heaven, you are a beautiful God. 
You are a wonderful parent. You are so faithful and you are so far from our understanding. We give you praise. We sing these songs with enthusiasm because they lift you up and say, you are the, the smartest thing we know. You are the greatest thing we know. You are the best thing we can imagine. And you are beautiful. And the treasures that you give us in your scriptures are beautiful as well. And as we go to 1 Peter chapter 4 and listen to what Peter had to say to a group of Christians who were struggling, a group of Christians who were maybe thinking about giving up, a group of Christians who were made fun of and excluded in society, we pray that we can hear your message for us. I pray that we don't close our hearts to things that you would have us know that may require some changes in our lives this morning. But I pray that we will open our hearts and open our hands to you and say, Lord, whatever you want us to have, we want to receive. Because you are our God, and we are your people. And we love you, and we trust you. So I ask you to be with us during this time of reflection and study now. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read the text. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be in just the first, first half of the chapter, the first 11 verses this morning. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. They heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. This is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. It's tempting when you read a passage like this to identify some things that Peter is saying to Christians in the first century and say, that's not me. That doesn't apply to me. There's a lot of instances here where you might do that. He lists several kinds of reckless, destructive behaviors that apparently people in these cities that he's writing to are involved in, or some of these Christians used to be involved in and maybe are starting to revert back to uh, debauchery and orgies and drunkenness and carousing and all those things we know we're not supposed to do, but I guess some people still think are worth going and doing. 
You could hear that and say, that's not me. I don't have a carousing problem. I did maybe when I was younger, but I kicked that years ago. So I'll just, I'll let Peter talk to these guys and that'll be it. I'll just sort of, you know, check my phone while he's giving them a good talking to. Don't go back to that kind of stuff. That's not, that's not healthy. You don't need to do that. It might be tempting to hear the part where he says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God and say, well, I'm not a speaker. I'm not a preacher. I'm not the one who gets to choose the gem and hold it for, at a certain angle for everyone to see. So that's not me. I'll let him talk to the, the speakers right there while I do something else. Maybe I'll look at one of the other gems. It's tempting when you read a passage like this to think that Peter, to think that God is talking to someone who is not me. But I want to challenge us this morning. This may not be the best way to go about it. We can just read it and go, okay, yeah, he's talking to these folks. And you may be able to justify it too because he does address certain people in this letter. And Paul does the same thing in his New Testament letters. Now he's talking to wives. Well, I'm not a wife, so that doesn't apply to me. Well, now he's talking to slaves. Well, we don't have slaves, so that, that doesn't apply to us. But I want to challenge you to listen closely and not just say, that doesn't apply to me. I'm going to tune out until we jump back on something that I can relate to. I want to challenge you to think, well, what does this have to do with me? Maybe I'm not somebody who came out of a life of licentiousness and uh, libertine living, and maybe that's not me, but there are people out there that this does relate to. What does your relationship to those people, what does what they need to hear have to do with how you can serve? This is one of those passages that I like. Uh, they're fun to preach on, too, because you get this contrast. There was like, this is what you used to do before you knew Jesus. But then Christ changed your life, and now this is what you do. And that's exactly what we have in this section. You could break it in half. The first section is about warnings about backsliding and don't go back to this way of life. Those people are going to be judged just like everybody else is going to be judged. We have a faithful God who judges. There's the what not to do, the, uh, the before picture. And then the second half of this section is, this is what you ought to do. There are some exhortations to, to love and to serve and to show hospitality and to pray. And say, yes, this is what we ought to do. This is what we don't do. This is what we should be doing. But as I think about the passages that I may avoid or say, hey, these don't have anything to do with me, I want to ask the question, what does it mean for the church to be the kind of environment where we don't just say, you know what, the stuff you used to do, you still shouldn't do it. What if somebody goes back to it? Well, you still shouldn't do it. Okay, well, I, I, I still, I'm being pulled in this direction. Jesus taught me to pray, lead me not into temptation, but that temptation is really strong, so <laughs> what do you got for me? And sometimes what we got is, oh, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that. You're, you're still going. I don't know why you're not listening to me. You, you, you're, you're going where you shouldn't be going. You need to stop that. Maybe that's not the most faithful response. I was thinking about an organization that Lisa and I interacted with when we lived in Memphis. It's a, a group called HopeWorks. And it was a, a group of people that said, you know what? There are a lot of folks in Memphis who end up in the prison system. They spend time, you know, they, they, they do whatever their sentence is, and then they get out. And then the world, the society, and even the churches sometimes say, okay, don't do that anymore. But they get out of prison, and they want to get a job, and they want to change their life, but their whole social network is criminal, 
or the thing that got them in jail in the first place, and the people that they were doing things with, they go back to running with those people because they're family, they're friends. These are your, the people that you can trust. So what are you supposed to do? And we stand off and we say, hey, don't do that. But they gravitate back toward things that are destructive. So anyway, HopeWorks was an organization that said, we need to help these people find jobs. We need to help these parolees get housing. We need to get these parolees some job training so that they can apply for something that can sustain them and pull them out of the life that got them locked up in the first place. I loved working with this group because they didn't just say, don't do that. They didn't have a, a simple, not practical solution. They were willing to dig in. They needed mentors. And, and my role, I didn't do very much with this organization. I wasn't on their staff or on their board or anything like that. But they said, we just need Christians who will show up once a week and have lunch with these people. Be their cheerleader and say, you know what? You're on the right track. Keep studying those, those typing manuals. Keep showing up for these life skills classes that we provide. You can do this. And it was great to see people who had tattoos on their faces, spent time in prison, meeting with like CEOs of companies and their, their dockers. And they're, they're sitting at a table. They're sitting across from one another. And they're blessing each other's lives. They were trying to say, let's break this cycle of people winding back up in prison because all they have is a network of, of people that can't help them out. This was awesome. I think about this when it comes to the church and people who are coming out of the kinds of, of lifestyles that we don't approve of. There's one response is to say, hey, you shouldn't do that. I keep saying that, right? But that's sometimes all we got. Well, what do these people need? Maybe like Hope Works, we need relationships. We need resources. We need to provide ways for people to see a different path that they can take. And I'm not trying to exclude us from this, because you may say, I do relate to this. I feel the pull and I feel the temptation to go back to certain attitudes of before I knew Christ. And I'm not living up to my potential as a follower of Jesus. And that's fine. You can take that on. But I'm wanting to examine what the church has to say in these kinds of situations. Later on, it talks about practicing hospitality. This was the, what you shouldn't do. But then in the second half, it's, well, we need to stay sober-minded so that we can pray. Okay, prayer is important, and we do that. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Good. We should be loving each other. I'm going to come back to that one in just a minute. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality. You might, that's another one that we might tune out and say like, oh, I'm very hospitable. My house is great. I have people over. My daughter, my son-in-law come over, or whatever. Hospitality is an interesting animal because there's the easy hospitality, the kind that you might expect, the kind that you can give and feel very comfortable. Lisa and I went to Texas. What was it? Last week, we flew out there with the girls for her grandma's 90th birthday celebration, and it was great. We got some great hospitality from Lisa's aunt. She's got this big house with plenty of beds. There was a pool in the backyard, so the girls got to swim. Um, it was, you know, we, we kind of got into this rhythm where they were feeding us, and then when the food would run out, there would be new food and new cakes and donuts and things. And I was like, man, this place is pretty nice. It was a good place to relax for a long weekend. We received hospitality, and I was very grateful for that. But we're family, too. And so she said that she would. We kind of expected it, and that's how we treat family. That's a good exercise in hospitality, but I want us to maybe channel Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount a little bit this morning. Don't just go, I do that. 
But Jesus challenged them to take it to the next level. You know, I, I love those who love me. Sure, you do. Who doesn't? But I'm challenging you to love your enemies. So what's Jesus' challenge for us when we hear about hospitality? I preached one time here a couple years ago that the, the Greek word for hospitality is uh, it's a combination of two other words, philos and xenos. The word philos is love, and the word xenos is stranger, like uh, xenophobia, philos. Is, put those two together, you got philoxenia. That's the hospitality word that Peter uses here. It's love for the stranger, and that's different than love for your relatives. That's different than love for the people who you're comfortable with using your bathroom. You know, they're, they're going to treat it with respect. What does it mean for us to practice Christian hospitality that involves sitting at the table, like I saw this guy and his dockers do, with this guy with tattoos on his face? That seems like the kind of Christian hospitality that Peter is recommending here. The kind of hospitality that can truly change someone's trajectory in life. It's also the kind of hospitality that we hate. It makes us so uncomfortable to sit across the table from somebody who's unpredictable, somebody who might disagree with your whole value system, for somebody who is completely unlike you. But it's not just here. It's not just this gem that we're examining this morning. You could take another one and go, oh, oh, we should love, we should love neighbors. Oh, we should welcome aliens and strangers. Oh, what does this one have to say? Oh, you know, we should, we should sacrifice our own comfort. We should love outsiders. We should... I mean, just over and over and over again in Scripture, we get this call to be hospitable in ways that will cost us something. And this is important for a church who has maybe different values than a lot of people who are not within the church will hold. We say it's right to do this. It pleases God to do this. It's wrong to do this. We want to hold to the values that we see in Scripture. We want to invite people to follow those standards as well. But if all we have is, don't do that, you shouldn't do that, then where does it end them up? Like in the example of people going back into prison, if we feel like this message that we have will free people who are imprisoned to desires or to things that are self-serving or to a, a way of life that doesn't honor God, how are we going to invite them to know the other side, the positive, the, the, the way that, that follows Christ and gives life? it's going to require something of us. It says here, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. I'm reminded that love is more than just an idea. Love is not just a sentiment or an intention. I love that person. I love everybody. Jesus called us to love one another. I love my church. We sing together. Again, good. You should. I mean, if it was not, if I hate everybody, then you're kind of on the wrong track, but Go beyond loving people as an idea. Love people as an action. Bob Goff wrote a book that's called Love Does, and I think about that. Love is demonstrated by its actions. I want to take that to another step and maybe give you something that you can work with this week. Love goes. Love doesn't just stand off and say, man, I really wish that person would stop doing that. I really wish they hear me when I say, look out, you're headed for destruction. Love goes and eats with people, builds relationships with people, guides people, it invites people. That's the kind of Christian love that we're called to. It's a, it's a love that requires us to get up out of our seats and go to someone. 
And that's what I think we need to do as a church. There's usually a part of the sermon each week where I, I don't know whether or not I'm going to say the thing that I want to say, and I kind of I weigh it. I look at people's faces, and I look at the clock, and I go, eh, should I say this? Should I not say this? And if I mention it, I usually end up saying it, so I'm going to say this one this morning. Um, if you believe that it is displeasing to God for somebody who is attracted to someone of the same sex to build that relationship, to establish that relationship, to, to, to get married to somebody of the same sex. If you look at scripture and you say, I don't think that's what God had in mind. Kind of what I'm talking about applies here. You can stand off and you can say, that's not okay. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. If you think that that is wrong, then you need to have a relationship with someone. It's not going to make any difference what you think. In this issue or any other issue that we could replace this with, if we're just throwing stones from a distance at each other, we are not doing what we are called to do as Christians here. My encouragement is, if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, if you disagree uh, on, on any number of issues, but this one for example, build a relationship. Go to that person. I think it is not loving for Christians to say, you cannot marry the person that you are attracted to. Now, don't get me wrong. I have a traditional view of this topic, and we can talk about this more later. Um, I am not saying it is wrong to challenge somebody or invite somebody to live uh, in a lifestyle that's consistent with Scripture as we understand it. But it is not loving for you to say, this is what you want to do, and you can't do it. Remember? You can't do that. Don't do that. When what this person is looking for is intimacy, if we are denying them intimacy in relationships, and just saying, figure it out, and then come and hang out with us once you've got your, your stuff all sorted and your act together. That is an unloving attitude. And here's an alternative that I would propose. If you don't think that it's okay for someone to marry somebody of the same sex and have that lifelong committed relationship the way that men and women do, then I encourage you to be the intimate relationship in their life, to give them a community that understands them and that knows them and that loves them and includes them. You can still disagree with them. But it's not loving to just shut it down and say, don't do that as you're not willing to move from your position. Because love goes. I think we need to be willing to go. That was the thing that I wasn't sure if I was going to say or not. And I admit my thoughts on the matter are a little bit disorganized. But I'm okay letting you guys hear what I have to say and then inviting you to have a conversation with me. Because I do a lot of preaching, and I would love to just boil all of this, all of the treasures from Scripture, down to a simple like list of 50 things. Kind of like we have here. Don't do this. You should do this. Isn't it that simple? Isn't it that easy? Can't we just live that way? I don't think so if we live in relationship with people. I think there's conversations that are due. And I'm interested in having those conversations with you all. And I'm okay. I, I feel like at this point, 
maybe you're concerned about things that I've said, or maybe I'm not explaining what I mean well. So again, it's an open door. It's an opp opportunity for us to have a conversation together. But at its core, it's me looking at this and saying, let's do this well. Let's practice real hospitality. Let's show true love that goes and that cares and doesn't just say, yeah, I, I probably love you, but you're going to have to do all the work and you're going to have to come to me, make me comfortable. Because this is not about being comfortable. And that's where Peter starts in this section. Starts with a therefore. What has he been talking about this whole time? He's talking about the suffering of Christ. And he's saying, you're suffering? I don't have an easy solution for you. Jesus suffered. You should take comfort in the fact that you are like Jesus when you suffer. And in this particular case, it's about social ostracism for not going back to the lifestyle that was popular, that was common, that was pleasure-seeking. There were Christians who were saying, no, 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 I, I, following Jesus makes me not want to do that kind of stuff anymore. And these people were over here going, boo, boo, you're no fun. You're killing all the joy. Come on, we used to have such a great time together. And Peter says, you can't hear that. You got to listen. You got to focus on Christ. You got to keep your mind toward the end. He talks about God's judgment, which is something we shouldn't forget about. He talks about the end being near, which is another thing that I think is often misunderstood and uh, focused on too much when it comes to end times and predicting the coming of Christ. I believe that Jesus is going to come back. I believe that there will be a judgment. But I think a lot of people spend too much time trying to do the math and figure it out when Jesus himself said, eh, don't do that. Don't worry about it. I want you to trust me. Because, yeah, my coming is near. It's probably sooner than you think. But in Peter's lifetime, it didn't happen. In a lot of our family members who have passed on in their lifetime, it didn't happen. In our lifetime, it might. But Jesus' point and Peter's point here is be ready. Stay focused. Don't just think about this life and the circumstances that you're going to have to encounter. Think about where we're going. Think about the victory that Jesus has already secured because of the resurrection. The cross, the grave, empty tomb. I'm alive, and you're going to be alive with me as well. Just trust in me and follow me. That's the message that Peter is reminding these Christians of. I think there's something really valuable for us to hear in this message together. So two things. I'm going to wrap things up here. One of the things is a challenge this week. And it's a challenge for serving. I began by talking about what are your gifts? How can you serve others this week? Um, and if you need a little bit of help with that, honestly, we need more children's ministry volunteers. I personally need more um, uh, office administrative volunteers. Like there's just a lot of stuff that happens in the building all week and I need people to run errands and mail stuff and, you know, organize closets and things like that. If you have time and you want to come in and hang out with me, like there might even be free coffee in it for you. But uh, please come and talk to me because I need some help lately just with some regular church building kinds of things. If you like to encourage people, if you like to, if one of your gifts is encouragement and being thoughtful, oh, it's someone's birthday. Oh, it's Don and Georgia Springer's 65th wedding anniversary this week, which by the way, it is. Go give them a phone call, show them some love. Uh, if you'd like to encourage, then Rosemarie has offered to get the band back together. The Monday group who used to write cards and send encouragement notices to those who are on our prayer list, they want to do that again. They want to start meeting a couple times a month, sending out those cards, praying for people. So 
Rosemary, can you wave? Does anybody not know who Rosemary is? She's right over there. <laughs> she would like, if you're interested in, in helping out and serving in that way, please go and talk to her. She asked me to say that. Um, serving. I said there were two things. This is the first of the two things. I want to challenge you to this week when somebody thanks you for something. What do you normally say when someone says uh, thank you? You reply with? You're welcome, which is great. You should say you're welcome. But here's something you might say instead. Instead of thank you, or instead of you're welcome, try saying at your service. Thank you for listening to my message this morning. <laughs> at your service. It's amazing. It means the same thing, essentially. You know, it's our social customs. Thank you. Something in reply. But if the something in reply reminds you that we are called to serve, others and not just serve our own needs and comforts, then maybe this is how we'll carry this gem with us into our week. Thank you at your service. Give that a try. Maybe it'll do something. Maybe it won't. I did my part. Let me read this section one more time to us. It's up to you. God's got, God's got more control of this than I do. I'm going to close out by reading this. Uh, you can bring the praise team back up uh, here. Oh, there's, no, there's not another song. You would have to make something up. That's okay. Uh, Phil is going to come up and lead our closing prayer after this. But once again, hear the word of the Lord. Listen to what this means for us. Maybe dig a little bit deeper to figure out what this is going to mean for your life this week. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human, evil human desires but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And they're surprised that you do not join in them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. They will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.